everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Someone Else's Shoes. I'm JR, and uh, this week's guest is Heather Kirk. Heather is a friend of mine that I went to college with. Hi, Heather. Hey, everyone. Um, Heather has a master's in applied behavior analysis and autism. Um, however, that is not the reason why we're talking to her uh, for this particular episode. And Heather is actually joining us on the phone uh, because we are still in the midst of a pandemic, even though I guess, you know, uh, some states are starting to um, open up a little more. But um, Heather is not in studio today, A, because there's a pandemic and I'm not letting people in my house, uh, and B, because Heather is also dealing with being immunocompromised. Um, so before we get into all of that, Heather, why don't you tell us exactly what a master's in applied behavior analysis and autism is? Yeah. So, you know, I think the easiest way to just sum it up is that it's a science to improving behavior. So, you know, I went for my master's in what I'll refer to as ABA because nobody wants to say that whole long applied behavior analysis thing all the time. (laughs) No, I don't. (laughs) Right. So, you know, we just call it ABA for sure. And, you know, I went into the focus of autism because that's where my passion lies. But ABA, really what we do is that we look at behavior and we look at what behaviors we want to increase and what behaviors we want to decrease. Um, It can be used with anyone in any population in any setting. So yes, it is the only scientifically proven treatment for autism, which, you know, I think is very powerful, which is why I decided to go into that. That's pretty awesome. Um, Yeah. Right. But like, let's say you are picking your cuticles. Mm -hmm. We do that. If you are trying to exercise more, we do that. If you're a business owner and you're looking at work production and, you know, people coming in on time, people taking too many days off, all of that. Um, So it it can be applied to basically anything you can think of. (laughs) So that's the applied behavior analysis can like be related to all Uh of those things. You can use it essentially in any aspect of life, whether it's work or whatever. Yeah, so we often refer to the dead man's test as a way to kind of help people think of how much it covers because basically what we say is if a dead man can do it, it's not a behavior, but pretty much anything else is. So it's anything okay. that you can observe. Fair. Yep. If, if a dead man can do it. Yep. It's a pretty funny way to explain <laughs> it. When I first heard that myself, I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, well, it's fair enough, I guess. Right? <laughs> um, okay, so – Let's talk about, I guess, like, let's start with what kind of work you can do with that, because I think it, it kind of ties into um, everything, right? Yeah. Yep. So I started out in the field at a nonprofit school solely for kids with autism. So mm-hmm. it looks very different than what you picture when you picture like when you or I are, were in school and it's direct one-to-one instruction. So every single student has a para as we're used to it, but someone applying those ABA techniques on a one-to-one ratio. And then there's a behavior analyst that supervises that and, you know, trains the staff to implement it and designs those programs and all of those type of things. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was, by the time I actually got my master's, since I had been working there fresh out of uh, undergrad, 
I was working with, I would say, young adults because they were 15 to 21. Okay. And so during my time there, unfortunately, I did have a pretty significant work-related injury where this young woman had pulled my hair from a standing position down to the ground for, I would say, like at least a minute, um, landed me on a neck brace. um, And it's kind of just been this journey of trying to figure out what the heck is going on with my body and why it's so mad. (laughs) (laughs) So... So talk to us about, I guess, walk us through that whole scenario, right? So how does that end up happening where you're getting your hair pulled, first of all, and ending up in a neck, in, in a neck brace? You know, a way that I like to explain it to new staff that come into the field, because really what happens, like imagine you or I graduating from undergrad and then just walking into the school where these children, really, because we were serving 6 to 21, right. are fairly aggressive. Pretty much anyone in that program has been outplaced from the school district. So imagine what a school district has to say and what point they have to get at where they're like, yeah, I'd rather pay you a million dollars a year to help this kid because I can't manage it. And that's what it costs per kid. Yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty expensive. It's, wow. it's and a lot. And the school lot. district covers that. Yeah. I mean, you're getting into like lawyers. <clears throat> yeah. Excuse me. And all of that. But for the most part, you know, for a family, the most ideal situation is that the district will pay for it. Because so like public schools in general have certain programs for people with disabilities or or with Down syndrome or autism. Mm -hmm. And so these are the students that the, I guess, the lay person, the lay teacher can't Mm -hmm. handle. Yeah. So it's at the point where these children are unsafe and unmanageable in that environment. Um, And really what it comes down to is it's because they're not trained in ABA. Um, It is the, like I said, you know, it's the only scientifically proven treatment for autism. So imagine the struggles that a public school faces trying to serve that population and not being trained in those practices. So there are some BCBAs that, you know, are more of a consult model for public school and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But it's for people on the spectrum that are okay to be in that environment. Yeah. Okay. So walk us through what, what had happened um, leading up to the, the hair pulling. So this client in particular really did not like people in her personal space. Um, Her and I, I'm grateful for the fact that we bonded pretty early on. Um, and she used to like ask to sit next to me on the bean bag and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, so I think that maybe my guard was down a little bit more than someone who didn't have that rapport would have had. Um, right. And the thing about these type of programs, right? So they get an IEP. So it's an individualized education plan. And what's being targeted is, their utmost weaknesses. So imagine, you know, us in high school. I mean, for myself, I used to cut class all the time. (laughs) (laughs) So imagine being in high school and having every single class you went to being direct one-to-one instruction and the things that are the hardest for you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's pretty hard. If you don't show up, people will notice. Yeah. But, you know, in public school, if you're kind of lazy in math because your teacher doesn't really pay attention, you know that. Right. You know, there's there's this kind of different balance where it's almost 
kind of like you can get out of things a little bit more. But in this setting, there's not only a direct instructor with you at all times working on your IEP goals. There's also a special education teacher and a behavior analyst overseeing everything. So there's really no room for slacking off. Um, And I was assessing something with her that was very difficult for her, but she was handling it very well. And, you know, I did physically prompt her. And what we mean by that is it's, you know, I'm touching her and kind of what we call hand over hand guiding her on how to complete it appropriately. Right. Um, which for the record, she apparently does not like. Yeah. <laughs> so I did get my hair pulled from, you know, she was standing next to me, grabbed the top of my hair, pulled me down to the ground and then up for, I would say, at least a minute. Um so it's just not like exactly over and over again. She just brought you up and down by your hair. Yeah. Yeesh. Yeah. It's not like a, you know, I'm mad. Let me pull your hair for a second. It's no, I'm, I'm dragging you from a standing position down to the ground by your hair. Right. And then repeating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeesh. Yeah. And yep. so that, that landed <laughs> you in a neck brace. Yes, it did. And then, so Which did you quite the experience? <laughs> yeah. So, so what happened after that? Where like, did you, were you able to get like workman's comp or? Yeah, so I did go to our urgent care center that we used to kind of refer people to if they had got injured, and they put me in a neck brace, you know, said, take these muscle relaxers, relax, let it heal. Mm -hmm. Um, Unfortunately, I did get my hair pulled several other times there, two other times where I did end up in a neck brace, and, you know, I think people have a difficult time understanding why I would stay there. <laughs> right. Like you're, you're clearly um, in danger. So why, yeah. why are you going back? <laughs> yep. And I think that's, that is a difficult thing to understand. And I think that for myself, it took me, I guess you could say more to that breaking point where I said, I can't help them anymore because that's what it is, is when you're so passionate about something and you found the thing that you love the most, because I saw firsthand the difference that the science could make. I had, you know, young adults that would hit their head with their fist hundreds of times a day that now are at what we call zero levels where, you know, it doesn't happen at all. That's so significant. So to, to find that passion where you, you're, you actually scientifically can show that what you're doing is effective. So you know, not only within like your soul that you're helping people, but you know, on paper, right, through data and research. Yes. <laughs> so that's a difficult thing to leave. Right. Yeah. So, okay. So what happened with that job then? Um, so essentially what happened was I got to the point where, you know, I was trying to seek medical help. Workers' comp can be very difficult, unfortunately, mm-hmm. and I really wasn't getting treatment. Um, I went to this one neurologist that said to me, I'll get you an MRI if you really want one, but it's just going to come back and I'm going to say, I told you so. That's And that's like, that's mm-hmm. pretty fucked up. <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, that's, that's what I, I had or been I shouldn't waiting. say it's pretty fucked up. I, I guess that's, that's pretty shitty bedside manner. <laughs> Especially because, you know, he didn't do a physical exam. It's difficult, I think, when someone is young um, because, you know, I'm 31 now. So Mm -hmm. someone looks at me and they're like, oh, you're fine. You smile. You make jokes. Right. You must be good. And it's just unfortunately not how it goes. Um, So I didn't really get the best treatment. And I was trying to continue to work because, you know, I loved my clients and I loved my coworkers. 
Um, there was nowhere else I wanted to be, but it got to the point where I recognized, you know, my role here really is to manage physical you know, problem behavior. And my role is, you know, we had these walkie talkie systems where the individual working with a highly aggressive client would hold one, say the initials, say the location. And it was my job to run and help. Mm -hmm. Um, And while a lot of that is, you know, one-on-one training with the person who works with the client of these are some de-escalation techniques you can use. This is what we've found to be effective with this client as far as teaching some coping skills. But at the end of the day, a lot of it was keeping everybody safe and, you know, ending up in a restraint or guiding a client to a seclusion room, which is physical. So I got to the point where I didn't feel that I could keep those people safe based off, you know, the way my body was trying to keep up with things. It just couldn't. Right. So, okay. So so now how did Talk us through like how this led to you becoming immunocompromised. You know what I mean? So how how did yeah. getting your hair pulled at work and going through all of this, ending up in a neck brace multiple times, how did that lead you to essentially having an autoimmune disease? Yeah, so I had all of these doctors through, you know, workers' comp who they had suggested that had basically said to me, you cannot be having this significant of symptoms from a hair pull. Um, and while I did firmly believe that that's what it was from, um, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> right. Um, and, you know, in ABA, we really pride ourselves on if we're not an expert in the area, consulting with an expert. So if this expert says that I'm wrong, then, you know, I must be wrong. Right. Because you, so you're, um, and you're experiencing what, like pain everywhere or just, you know what I mean? So is it just mm-hmm. the neck that hurts as a result and so, this is what leads to it? It was primarily my neck. So if you could imagine this, this original hair pull was in 2015. So that's five years ago. Right. Um, so it's, it's really just continued to build up from there. So while that first hair pull I had, I definitely had a lot of really bad neck pain. Um, it would go down my spine. It would go down my hands. Um, my right side was always worse. Um, so I had a lot of numbness in my hands, a lot of tingling, significant muscle weakness. Um, I couldn't really, I struggled to hold my head up. Um, and that's why I felt, you know, it had to be this hair pull because it's like the muscles in my neck felt like they just couldn't do it anymore towards the end of the day. Um, so you just got progressively weaker as the day went on. Yeah. As time went on, it just didn't really get better. You know, I tried a bunch of different things. Um, but at the end of the day, if a doctor doesn't think the cause of your symptoms is, you know, this physical trauma, then the treatments or interventions that you're trying to use to heal yourself aren't going to be effective because you're looking for the wrong thing. So, once I was kind of told, you know, this can't be your hair pull and my blood work came back that I was at significant risk for a heart of a, a heart attack because I was essentially using this mindset of mind over matter, right? So these people say that there's nothing wrong with you, Heather. So get over it. Push through it. It's pain. You're fine. Right. Well, I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> so so. <laughs> so what ha- so you got a you had blood work done. They said essentially you're at very great risk for a heart attack 
as a, what, 28-year-old, nice, young, healthy woman. So I took disability from that job that I had loved because if, I mean, I was at severe risk for a heart attack, I certainly could be helping people manage problem behavior. Right. Um, so I took that time to try to, quote unquote, fix myself. I started seeing other doctors. So even though I, I had originally thought that my problem was neurological, after being told it wasn't, I was like, all right, so we got to figure out what else is going on. So I was referred to a rheumatologist mm-hmm. who diagnosed me with fibromyalgia. And diagnosing an autoimmune disease can be difficult. Um, there are certain tests that you can do for these like more well-known ones like lupus or mm-hmm. rheumatoid arthritis, but I wasn't testing positive for those specific ones. I was just showing that there was some sort of quote unquote infection. Um, okay. cause that's essentially what, you know, autoimmune diseases are is it's your body not recognizing how to properly function as far as your immune system goes. So, and a rheumatologist is somebody who specializes in diagnosing uh, these diseases or infections. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All sorts of like immune problems is what they work on. Gotcha. So what exactly is fibromyalgia? Essentially... It's very difficult. <laughs> so I, I get started and then I'm like, man. Um, so it, it is a diagnosis and I don't want at any time to make it seem like I'm saying fibromyalgia doesn't exist because I think this common misconception of, you know, there's nothing specific in your blood work that pinpoints fibromyalgia means it's not real. Um, that's not the case. You know, it's diagnosed by showing that you have some sort of immune issue, Mm -hmm. right? And then not showing up for these common ones and really diagnosing it based off these common pain areas. So really, I personally think that's what struck her as the fibromyalgia is one of the really big areas is your neck. Okay. So, you know, there's these kind of pinpoint areas, which is your neck like right below as far as kind of like where your shoulder blades are um, and then your hips, uh, which I definitely had all of that because at that point the pain was absolutely just like shooting down my spine. Right. I did going everywhere. mm -hmm, And I didn't really have pain in like my elbows or knees, which was part of fibromyalgia, but we kind of figured like, Oh, well that'll come with time. Lucky me. (laughs) Right. It's it's fibromyalgia. You'll get there. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So I've been treated for an autoimmune disease for two, two and a half years. Okay. And, and what was what was that treatment like? So you got you got diagnosed with fibromyalgia, mm-hmm. right? And then what is what happens then? So now you have this autoimmune disease, and that you said it was what two and a half years ago. Yep. So then, what does that? What are the ne- like? What happens next? It's really such a freaking journey, and I think it really <laughs> speaks volumes to what it is that people with chronic illnesses or those especially that have what we call invisible illnesses where you can't really see how much pain we're in. Um, it's, it's such a struggle, and so really it started out with this is what you have. Here's some holistic options that could potentially help you feel better. Um, try that out, and, you know, 
it was things like yoga and making mm-hmm. sure you sleep and have enough water, all of that stuff. So, you know, I did all of that. I'm a complete yoga nut <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't getting better. So right. it started to get to the point where they're just tacking on medications. And what I can say is, you know, I ended up having a med interaction where I was in the hospital. It, meds for this is not a joke. Um, for fibromyalgia. Yeah. It's because really what they're doing is, the way that they're looking to treat it, right, is just experimenting with medication. What right. helps? What doesn't? What makes you worse? Because fibromyalgia essentially is, we know you have an autoimmune disease. We don't know what it is, so it's fibromyalgia. It's kind of like fallback diagno- uh, diagnosis. Yeah, and it then, kind of is. Cause... And then they have to just give you stuff to figure out what works to help you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I've been on a ton of medication. It started off with one. And then, you know, you see these doctors every three months because you really, it's a specialist. So they don't really allow you to come in more than that. So it's basically like you see the doctor, here's this update. I still don't feel well. I'm still getting better. I'm still struggling to take care of myself here. Sure. Try this other medication. Um, and then it's this three months of adjusting to the medication trying to find some sort of stability. Does it help? Does it not? And the difficulty when you aren't really confident in your diagnosis is that you usually end up getting worse. Like if you're not treating the problem, the the symptoms aren't going to go away. Right. It's, it's experimenting. It's like every episode of house they're throwing, (laughs) they're throwing a random bunch of meds at somebody. And if they get worse, well, then we know that it's not this. And if they get better, then, Hey, we fixed it. Mm-hmm. But in my case, I wasn't getting better. Right. They just um, kept swinging and missing. <laughs> yep. So from the rheumatologist, she ended up kind of feeling uncomfortable following my med interaction by, I guess, managing the medications. So she had referred me to a psychiatrist that specialized in med management. So after two and a half years, and it, it really was right before this pandemic hit, I want to say two months before the pandemic hit, I had said, fuck all of this. (laughs) You're not helping me. Excuse my French. You know how I am. I know. Um, I was like, this isn't working. Like I've given you two and a half years of my life to help me and you're not. Right. So this isn't getting better. (laughs) So over two and a half years, essentially you're going once every 90 days to the doctor, the doctors, you're telling the doctor it, I don't feel better. Mm -hmm. So the doctor's saying, okay, try this. Mm-hmm. And then you would go see the psychiatrist who would figure out the doses. Yeah. It and would then, be looking at the symptoms and the med interactions and how high we could go, how quickly. And really we got to the point where I said to the psychiatrist, I was like, this isn't helping. Like these medications, I genuinely can't figure out what is a symptom and what's a side effect anymore. I don't know if my health is getting worse because it's not being treated properly or if you guys are just tacking on so many freaking heavy duty medications that I now have all of these extreme side effects. Right. Because those meds – Because so two, two things that I think everybody should be aware of. One, the way – Correct me if I'm wrong, but the way you treat an autoimmune disease is essentially to remove the immune system. Yeah, in a sense. So there was a medication called Plaquenil. Um, there's 
generic ones for it. It's like hydrochlor something that I can't pronounce. <laughs> and yeah, it's something. Um, and so it essentially suppresses your immune system because what's wrong in an autoimmune condition is that your immune system can't just attack and identify the bad things. So if you get a cold, your immune system says, hey, that's not supposed to be here. Let me attack it. My immune system says, oh, hey, here's your body. Let me attack it. Right. You don't need it, that. It just, you don't need that stomach. It can't identify between the bad things that are entering our body and the good things that we need to survive. Right. So, you know, applying some of these medications, it suppresses it and makes it not so overreactive. But at the same time, then, you know, you're very susceptible to everything, any sort of, yeah. <laughs> you know, I had a friend that, and I just, I, this gets me so much now during this pandemic because she sneezed once. This mm -hmm. is one of my closest friends. We used to live together. She sneezed once in the same room as me. And I got sick for about three weeks so severely that, you know, I had to take a steroid inhaler, a steroid nasal spray because my body was closing up so much that I couldn't breathe. From one she sneeze. She sneezed once and was fine. <laughs> yeah. She never got sick, nothing, but you, it, whatever she had that made her sneeze, you got. And it's, mm -hmm. that's the difference between somebody with an immune system and somebody with no immune system. Yep. Like um, her body fought it. She yeah. was a little maybe achy and then she was over it. And so the, the second point is with these medications that are essentially removing your immune system, um, the side effects that correlate with these meds are not, you know, itchy, watery eyes. It's, mm -hmm. they're, they're far more severe. Yeah. So this, you know, she had essentially prescribed a lot of different things. So like one medication was for the severe pain I was having. Another medication was for the nerve pain. Another medication is for the muscle spasms. And then here's this other medication. And this was the last one we had tacked on that it does suppress your immune system and it can lead to blindness. And it's like, so you don't know what I have. Right. And you want to make, but me you're blind. willing to make me blind. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So oh, after, goody. yeah, it was about, I want to say eight months that I was on that because she said that it takes six months for your body to really be affected by it. Okay. At eight months was when I, you know, went to, the doctors and said, fuck all that. Yeah, I'm yeah. done. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, if you're not getting better and you could go blind at any time, I feel like that's, it's a logical choice. So, yeah, and it wasn't like I wasn't having side effects. Like, I don't know if you've ever heard of floaters. Um, but it's like, no. maybe not, kind not, of nothing like... other than like what's in my drinks. <laughs> yeah, no, not that kind. Okay. Although that sounds preferable. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like these little spots that you get on your eyes, almost like there's a piece of dust flying around. Uh, I yes, think that, I get those. Yeah. So I have them a lot now. Okay. I get them from, <laughs> so it, from my contacts, but they're like, I, I, I used to wear my contacts all the time and sleep in them mm, when you're not supposed to. So I would get definitely. calcium deposits and that's what those were. Interesting. For me, yeah, for so you, it's, a, Hey, I'm going to go blind soon. Yeah, exactly. So I have a lot more of that than I was ever really having. And I do get very severe migraines from, you know, the neck pain mm -hmm. and that tenseness in my neck. But the floaters 
were new. And that was kind of when I was like, all right, if this medication can make me blind, I understand that the eye doctor is saying you're not blind yet, but yet isn't very comforting. <laughs> no. Um, and now yeah. did your insurance cover all these meds? Cause I know like meds can be expensive. Lord, I wish they did. Um, so Jeez. over this, let's say two, two and a half years, I racked up at least $30,000 in medical debt, and that's with insurance. Jesus. So I went to grad school to get my master's degree to better help the population that I love and also be able to make enough of a living to support myself and have a lifestyle that was comfortable. But instead, I, I get injured, get, you know, I took short term disability, and then I didn't even have health insurance for a while because the workers comp had denied my claim um, saying that my problems could not have been from this work related injury. Any three of the ones that ended up landing me in a neck brace. Um, And that's because the doctors were saying it's autoimmune. It's not from the hair pulls. Yeah. So at that, so they denied my claim because they, they didn't have any other reasoning other than them saying you're, Symptoms are so severe that we don't think it's from a hair pull. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, they had no, Unreal. there was no like, let me help you find another diagnosis. Let right. me refer you here. It's workers comp and they say, that's not my problem. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. So I had, you know, health insurance. I started another job that I thought would be manageable because I was traveling. So I would be away for a week and then I'd be home for a week, you know, working from my bed Mm -hmm. to try to recover. Um, That, you know, I had my health insurance, but still things add up when you're going to these appointments every three months and you're getting worse. It's not like they say, oh, okay, see ya. It's get, you know, five vials of blood drawn before you come oh, you're here, okay, go downstairs and get six x-rays, get an MRI, get a CT scan. I have had more testing done than I could ever have imagined and still had no answers. Right. And it's from my personal opinion because it was all being targeted solely from an autoimmune perspective. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and so, really... So when you got this next job, right, and you... You were, you were working for a week, you would travel someplace, um, and then you would take a week off. Mm-hmm. Were you still at that point, like, as the day went on, you were still getting weaker, right? It wasn't, oh, like, yeah. it wasn't like whatever meds they had you on were helping you manage this. This was still, like, over the course of the day, I, you know, by the end of the day, I can't do anything, which is why, like, we're having this call at 2 o'clock in the afternoon instead of 9 o'clock at night because by the end of the day, you're shot. Yep. Yeah. And really at that point, I mean, it was hard. I was on disability and it's like, I can't even say I was on disability because they denied my claim and I was just on, (laughs) I'm making no money. I'm getting no healthcare. And here I am, (laughs) whatever you want to call that. (laughs) (laughs) The American dream. Yeah. Right. I wasn't in a good place. It was all hard. Everything was. Um, but I, started to look at life as far as they're not helping me. And if I understand ABA to this degree to be able to help my clients, why can't I help myself? Mm -hmm. Um, So I really just started looking at it as far as I guess this is it. I guess this is how I'm going to be living 
going forward at 30, 29, whatever. Right. Um, so I'm going to have to learn how to make accommodations for myself so that I can live. Yeah. So, you know, that job was really part of that accommodations in my mind. You know, maybe if I work for one week and I'm home that next week, I can find a better balance. Um, the answer was definitely no. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was I was yeah. incorrect in that assumption. However, yes, <laughs> it's worth you know, a shot. It was yeah, it was some sign of hope and some sign of me being able to love what I did again because I love my job. Yeah, um, I just couldn't do it anymore. So I was looking for another route, and this company was an incredible company, and they were so knowledgeable. And the clinical director came out to meet me one time. And, you know, I'm open and honest, like, hey, I have this diagnosis. This is my life. I'm not going to be hiding this from you because it it does impact my life. And I may need an accommodation, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and she is so into research. And her and I just basically nerded out a lot about autoimmune diseases. And when I wasn't able to keep up with it, I kind of had the things that she had said to me in the back of my mind for a while. And instead of it providing a sense of like comfort, it more started to make me feel like something else is wrong, man. Like it, it can't be autoimmune because then I'd be getting better. (laughs) Right. Like you're taking all this medication. Mm -hmm. Why are you not getting better? Yeah. So I did have to, you know, quit that job and I started a new one in January where it was local this past Um, January yes yes very recently so I had a friend that worked for a company that did in-home services she liked it and I was like hey all right whatever I'll give it a shot it gives you some more flexibility in your hours Mm -hmm. which you know is nice we are able to work from home which is obviously another perk so basically all report writing all paperwork stuff like that is done at home and then when the clients are out of school we would go to their house and supervise those programs right so so how did I guess, how did that lead to you essentially I don't I don't know if it, it directly correlated but um did it like how did you go from that starting that new job to essentially within the next month or so telling your um, rheumatologist and telling your psychiatrist that was managing your medications to essentially, um, you know, go eat crow. (laughs) You know, yeah, that's pretty much how it happened. (laughs) So I guess in my mind, you know, I was trying to get back to as close as normal as I could find. And so I'm not traveling anymore. I'm not having this like more up in the air lifestyle where, you know, when you're flying, it's like your flight's canceled. You have this, something always happens. So I'm thinking I'm home. I'm really only going out of my house for a couple hours a day. Maybe I can do this. Maybe this is a better balance for me. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't. (laughs) <laughs> you know, it, it really wasn't, I wasn't feeling better. It's, it, I was still only able to function a couple hours a day. And it really, it was talking to one of my good friends where she was like, this shouldn't be this hard. Like you should, first of all, she's always like, you should stop working. You should not be working. You should be taking disability. And I, 
wasn't, I guess, in the place where I was ready to accept that because it was like, until I've done everything that I think I can do, then I'll get there. Um, so once I kind of told them all, you're not helping me, I need a new course of treatment. I had gotten a new GP. Um, this was right before the pandemic hit. So he looked everything over and he had referred me to a new rheumatologist. He had said, okay, I think you need a second opinion. And I was like, duh, that's why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, he had referred me to someone else. And then really by the time my appointment came, we were in the pandemic. Right. Yeah. So he was kind enough to do a telehealth appointment, which really has been mind blowing um, and very life changing for this whole telehealth thing to be possible. Because what I really was finding was I felt that the doctors couldn't see how sick I was because I would rest and kind of muster up this energy, you know, essentially over these three months just for this next appointment, because my doctor was an hour and a half away from me. Right. Um, so it was like, yeah, I'm okay right now because this is basically like a battle that I've been preparing for. Yeah. You know? Um, so like, yes, I took all of this medication and I did all of these accommodations so I can be here and it just wasn't working. So he was able to just do Zoom appointments from home. He reviewed everything, did what, you know, in ABA we refer to as an informal assessment, but essentially he was just asking me questions Mm -hmm. um, to, I guess, kind of try to lead him in the right direction. And he had said to me, have you ever had neck trauma? (laughs) And I just laughed. I was like, have I ever? (laughs) (laughs) Let me tell you. Right? And he was like, what? And I was like, yeah, um, I've had my hair pulled three times that landed me in a neck brace. And he was like, okay, yeah. So you've been misdiagnosed. Um, I think you have something called cervical dystonia. And I'm like, okay, like what the fuck is that? Right. <laughs> um, it's not, so one, of those, it's not ex- one of those uh, cool diseases that you hear about all the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he started explaining to me that a lot of the symptoms I was having was indication that I had too much of those autoimmune medications in my body. So essentially what he was saying is it's like your body doesn't need what you're giving it. So it's reacting in these ways, Um, which, you know, is interesting that two and a half years of me kind of screaming at my doctors like, hey, I'm having all these wild symptoms now what's going on no one said "Hmm, look at that that's a pretty severe side effect of this medication right um yeah that never happened (laughs) yeah so essentially all the things over two and a half years all the things that were getting worse were because of the medications you were taking as opposed to having fibromyalgia which you do not yeah that's kind of up in the air but (laughs) um i think at this point it's kind of that fibromyalgia if I have it, it is a side effect of cervical dystonia. So it's, you know, yeah, it's kind of like your body has not had proper treatment for so long that there may be something else going on. Um, but the root of your issues is cervical dystonia. That's what he said. So there's a lot of, I don't even know how to put this right. So there's a lot of things that you can get from just having one chronic illness because when one part of your body is affected and unable to work properly, it ends up affecting so many others. Right. Yeah. 
Um, so, you know, he told me to research it and, you know, I laughed and said, like, I just, I'm happy to research it. I just really need you to know that like, this is going to be a deep dive, right. <laughs> you know, like I, when you can access medical journals and you can access all of that research, it, it is difficult to, you know, just Google because right. you're, not, you're not going what, to WebMD. Mm-hmm. I'm going to WebMD and then I'm like analyzing all of it, what it says. And then I'm doing like a deep dive into medical journals, um, <laughs> and which, you know, I, I just like to prepare a doctor because it's like, I'm going to come back with a lot of questions. Yeah. yeah I hope, so I I hope just, you know what you're doing to yourself here. <laughs> just, I, need, I need you to be mentally prepared for like the me you're going to get. Because <laughs> right. otherwise we can just have a conversation now and you could just tell me the things you want me to find out. Yeah, yeah. But he really, he wanted me to do this deep dive, as I keep calling it, because he wanted for me to be able to see if something else jumped out at me, um, which, you know, it did. There are a lot of other things that can be co-occurring with dystonia that I could potentially have. Um, so when he is available in July, um, I have an appointment in late July to do some of the other tests that need to be done in person to figure out if I have other, you know, co-occurring diagnoses because of the cervical dystonia. Okay. So, yeah, I mean... There's so much that could be said. <laughs> I know. So so I guess even though you were misdiagnosed or potentially misdiagnosed, I guess you were just misdiagnosed, right? There's no potentially you have cervical dystonia and they thought you had an autoimmune disease and now it's mm -hmm. definitely cervical dystonia. Yes. It's, you know, I had an appointment with a neurologist that I was lucky enough to have a friend refer me to and she's fabulous. And so she special, specializes in Parkinson's, which, you know, when we're talking about Googling and mm -hmm. when you Google what you have, that's the type of stuff that comes up. Like it, right. it's bringing up Parkinson's and MS and you're kind of like, holy shit. Yeah. Like, are you telling me I have Parkinson's right now? And that's why I don't like when doctors tell you to research yourself, because it's like when right. you've been this sick for this long, like I have quite genuinely thought I was dying. Yeah. When, when I got that blood work back saying I was at severe risk for a heart attack and nobody knew why and nobody would see me because they were all too busy, I, I didn't know what was going to happen. So, you know, when you finally get a diagnosis and then you look something up and it's saying something as significant as Parkinson's, you're like, uh, what? Yeah. And so, <laughs> um, but, but in, in reality, cervical dystonia is one thing and Parkinson's or MS or even fibromyalgia or whatever the case may be can result from you having this. Yeah. So but I not guess necessarily, with... they're not necessarily correlated. Like if you get cervical dystonia, it doesn't mean you're going to get Parkinson's. Yes. Because I guess with cervical dystonia, there's kind of two onsets. One is some sort of physical trauma and the other is something that develops in the brain. Okay. Um, so I guess essentially if you have the type that is more affecting your brain, you're more susceptible to Parkinson's. Okay. Um, so at, for me, I guess really we're at the point where she ordered a ton of blood work. She scheduled a brain and neck MRI to see, you know, how much it's progressed and how severely it's affected 
my spine and essentially my brain um, because it's, it is obviously so close. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's a matter of figuring out because I, I have widespread symptoms. You know, I have when my symptoms worsen, I have difficulty walking. I'm unstable. Um, I, it's almost like you're, essentially your nervous system is broken is what the doctor said to me. So I don't think we really realize how much your nervous system controls. So really what we're at right now is figuring out how severely my nervous system has been damaged and how widespread it is because there's all different types of dystonia. So it's like has this cervical dystonia in this specific area due to that trauma now caused me to have generalized dystonia where it's affected my whole body. Or is it, you know, there's something called POTS where it's like, it's not very pleasant, but it, it does have to do with the dysregulation of your heart rate, which I do like, <laughs> I remember we were talking the other day. So right now my heart rate is 108 fat burn and I'm sitting. Right. You have the resting heart rate of a hummingbird. <laughs> yeah. So it's looking at things like that, you know, has this cervical trauma affected your nervous system for so long because essentially we've been treating you for an autoimmune condition when it seems to be primarily a nervous system issue. Right. And so, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like it's safe to assume that two and a half years ago, if they had caught this or correlated what you were going through with the hair pulling and neck trauma that you reported, right? It's not yeah. like you kept this, you know, to yourself. They asked oh, you yeah, what had happened not. and you said, <laughs> here's, here's the, everything that I've been going through. And mm -hmm. if the, if, if those doctors had put two and two together two and a half years ago, there's a very good chance, A, you would have an immune system right now and B, <laughs> <laughs> and B, you might not have the resting heart rate of a hummingbird. You might not at the end of every day um, need a pillow behind your head to, to prop your head up because you can't support your head with your neck muscles anymore. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I think that if it had been treated, essentially it would stop the progression, right? Because that's yeah. that's what we're looking for is we're either looking for a diagnosis to reverse the symptoms, which doesn't appear to be a poss possibility for me, but it at least would have stopped the progression because, right. you know, it. we talk about, you're saying like, it's not like I was quiet, you know, I everything's documented yeah. when you get hurt at some place like that. Like you have to fill out an incident report. Right. Um, I went to our urgent care center. It's not like I wasn't doing anything. Um, it just, I was, so my nervous system was so severely affected um, that, so what, it, what it's like is, so my whole body is in pain. I, I think of it like when we're back in science class and they pull out you know, the actual body and there, you can see like every muscle and every joint mm -hmm. and everything like that. I've never imagined pain in every single one of those areas. Like I can feel muscles that are deep in my tissue. Right. Um, incredibly painful, incredibly tight. It's basically like, you know, when you're working out and you push yourself to that brink where you feel like you're going to shake and just collapse. Yes. That's what I do every day. 
So every day, just by simple living. tasks. Yeah, just like getting up and, you know, getting dressed. I can barely lift my right arm. So I can really only lift my arm. Um, I don't even know how to explain it. But I, I can't lift my arm over my head with my right side at all. Um, As of right so, now, just you know, because of what you've done so far today. Yeah, well, that's like all day, every day. I will never be able – I mean, I don't want to say I will never be able to, but without proper treatment, I have not been able to lift my arm independently over my head. So if I want to lift my right arm up to stretch, I have to grab my right wrist with my left hand and pull it up. And you can, like, hear things popping and crunching and moving. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, so it it really – was so severe and it got to the point where, I mean, I couldn't sleep at all, which affects you so much. If you can't like imagine, you know, one yeah. night that you don't sleep, you're kind of groggy and out of it the next day. I have a two and a half month old. I know exactly what it's like <laughs> not getting any sleep at night. Yep. <laughs> there's, oh, there's where you and I relate very well. Yeah, right. <laughs> not sleeping takes its toll. It really does. So I think that that too could have, you know, worsened things for me where it's like my body isn't resting. Therefore, there's no possibility of healing. Mm -hmm. So we're just going to keep going like this. Right. And I was at the point where I was, so I'm not working and I am still living in my house in West Haven and I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to pay my rent with no money, yeah. how I'm going to get medical care. And I can't even remember things from the point of me sitting, right? So I'm sitting here and I'm like, oh, I need to go do A, B, and C. I'd stand up and have no freaking clue what I was doing. It's got to be scary. No idea. It's got to be so scary. Yeah. yeah. And so that's why I say like, I really thought that I was going to die. I couldn't remember anything. I could barely do basic hygiene skills. I could not cook. Um, so then, you know, your nutrition's going down the tubes right. and all of those things. It's, it's so difficult. I think a lot of times for doctors to realize how much things can spiral. Yeah. Well, not to mention if, if all of your muscles ache, right, you need muscles mm -hmm. to do everything. Yep. So like, <laughs> Just eating requires jaw muscles. Mm hmm. Eating. Ugh. That's, and you know, it's funny. Ugh. It's so bad. And so, you know, I love to eat. <laughs> Not with that reaction, you don't. I know. But, you know, it's, it's so funny because now that is my reaction, right? Right. Um, eating. Ugh. Mm hmm. So, like, not, ooh, boy, I would love this nice, juicy steak. No, it's eating is a whole different ball game now. It's like I'm hungry. What can I chew? How <laughs> swollen is my throat? What what can I swallow? Right. You know, my jaw. I get to the point where it is cracking and like almost like this like crinkling noise when I'm moving my jaw at night, and I hear that my hearing is being affected, like where it feels like you're going underwater, and you're like, yo, this can't be good. No. <laughs> And that's, um, so that's and, and that's a. I actually had that at one point. Mm. I I had a. It's I think it's a TMJ or TJM or whatever it is. It's yeah, that jaw yeah. muscle, um, mm -hmm. because I had a tooth on one side of my mouth that was essentially a cavity. I never and I just like didn't consciously think of it, but I just chewed mm. on one side of my mouth all the time. Oh yeah. To the yeah. point where I felt like I had a bug in my ear. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. And I was like freaking oh. out because my ear canal was swollen to the point where it was affecting my hearing. Yeah. And they were I like, yeah, you just need to, to go see a dentist. There's nothing in your ear. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? I need to see a dentist. Yeah. Well, the, <laughs> the collaboration across specialists is such an issue in my opinion where they're just like, oh, not my problem. Go see someone else. Yeah. It's like, no. No. Yeah. I mean, this doctor was like, like, I think you have a swollen TMJ, so you should go see a dentist so they can fix whatever's causing it, which, you know, for me, I was like, okay, but like, how the, how the fuck does that work? Like no one explained to me (laughs) how the correlation is there, but they were like, this this is what I think you have. (laughs) So go to this person. Mm -hmm. Um, But like for you, so you had two and a half years of progression that could have been avoided Mm -hmm. so i guess my next question i guess is you talk to the new doctors right Mm -hmm. your gp or who said initially i think you have cervical dystonia was it your gp it was the rheumatologist actually when i told yeah when i told the gp what he said he just stared at me through telehealth of course and he was like that's really rare i was like "Uh uh-huh okay so (laughs) let's go so your GP recommends you to a new rheumatologist. Your rheumatologist says, hmm, I think you've been mis- misdiagnosed. I think you have cervical dystonia. Go look it up. So then you do the research. Then you go and see the specialist. What was the specialist again? She's a neurologist. A neuro- okay, so then you go to the neurologist. And the neurologist yeah. says, after you've looked all this up and you know what cervical dystonia is now, mm-hmm. the neurologist looks yeah. at you and says, you 100% have cervical dystonia yeah yeah what is what is your reaction (laughs) at that point because now you know what cervical dystonia is it's not Mm -hmm. a fun disease yeah right yeah so what is your reaction now at this you 100% have this it's so odd because you know I think most people that get that type of diagnosis early on are going to feel you know pretty devastated it's it's you mourn the life that you had is right. the best way that I can describe it. But I had mourned that life two and a half years ago. Been there, done that, over it. Tell me what I have. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that's really the point that I was at when she said to me, you know, you 100% have this. And the reason why she said that was because I was so not used to someone giving me a diagnosis right. and saying you have this because I was asking her if there's any follow-up questions or anything that I should bring back to the rheumatologist. She just, she just kind of looked at me and was like, no, I mean, you 100% have cervical dystonia. Like you can just tell him that you have it. I was like, oh, cool. All right. right. <laughs> um, so it really was more of a discussion about, you know, what else could have happened due to it. Um, I had asked her about Parkinson's because she specializes in Parkinson's and Mm -hmm. movement disorders, which is why I went to her because, you know, it seemed like she was one of the few people in Connecticut that was very knowledgeable in the area. So, and you you have a hard time moving. Yeah. Um, so that's what led me to her. So I knew she was an expert in her field and you could tell just by the way she was speaking to me, the thoroughness of her physical exam, you know, she started, she just looked at my neck. She didn't even, so she asked me to put my hair up, put my hair up. She got like a better look of, um, I don't even, you know, I don't even know what these freaking muscles are called. Is it your traps that are like right below your neck? Nah, I don't I'm know. making this up. It's been, a, it's know. been a long time since I was a nursing student. Let's just call it neck <laughs> muscles. Yeah. Right. So she took one look there and was like, Oh, your muscles are very tight. And I'm like, uh-huh. 
<laughs> and she's like, you know, she asks me to like move my shirt so she can, you know, examine whatever. And she's like, oh, yes. She was like, this must be very painful. And it was just, it seems like the smallest thing to say, but that validation was the first time a doctor has said to me, yes, I can see it. Because I started to try to explain to her my symptoms. And, you know, she started to take a look at my hands. And I was trying to explain to her, you know, these joints look this way right now because my appointment's at 9 a.m. But as the day goes on, you know, they get insanely swollen. You'll see, like, they look bruised almost. Like, my veins are popping out, all of this stuff. And I was like, I took some pictures. That's what my GP had recommended if you'd like to see them. And she goes, oh, no, I believe you. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> Like I, I, no one said that to me before, right? Which is none, kind none of, of the doctors that you had been going to had just acknowledged what your was actual symptoms, like you, what yep. you were telling them. They were just saying, mm -hmm. "Okay, sure, sure, here," mm -hmm. as opposed yep. to, "No, I believe you. That's that's why you have cervical dystonia." Mm -hmm. And it's funny because you know it definitely took her being an expert in her area because other doctors would look at this and they're like, Oh, do you work out? And I would be like, no, I only do yoga. Like my body cannot handle anything else. And they were like, Oh, well you must be very effective at your yoga. And I'm like, no, that's not what yoga, what? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Oh Lord, like they're missing the whole thing. So yeah. it was definitely a fresh, a breath of fresh air when I had talked to her. For yeah, sure. I can, and I, I think it, yeah, it's really just more about, I guess it's really more about the hope that you get when someone says, you know, I believe you, this is what you have. Because before then, before you really have an accurate diagnosis that you feel confident in and that you feel like can really improve your life, it's like you go three months fighting for your life to have an appointment where someone says they still don't know what to do with you. Yeah. And they wouldn't see you prior to three months. Like if you had a mm -hmm. bad reaction to medication and stuff and you called them, they wouldn't be like, yeah, oh, yeah, come on in. Let's take a look at it. Mm -mm. It would just be like, oh, okay, so stop taking it. <laughs> okay, but like you realize I was taking it for a reason. So are you right. going to do something else? <laughs> no, no, we'll see you in 90 days. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's yeah. awful. That's ridiculous. Yeah, that's not ideal. Yeah, okay, so, I would agree. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so now you you have this diagnosis, and now you're in the myths the midst of this pandemic because I can't pronounce mm -hmm. words. <laughs> um, you're in the middle of the pandemic. There's a word I can pronounce. <laughs> oh, you crack me up. <laughs> so you're right in the middle of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And so how does how does life because like you, you still, for all intents and purposes, you're still immunocompromised, right? Like you, you don't mm -hmm. have an immune system, regardless yeah. of whether you're off these meds or not. Like your immune system has been taken away because they thought you had fibromyalgia. So mm -hmm. before and during the pandemic, has your lifestyle changed drastically or is it essentially like this is already what I do? It really wasn't as big of an adjustment for me as I think it probably has been for the rest of the world. Um, like people who are compromised. Yes. Yeah. For people that, you know, don't have those chronic illnesses that they're living with every day. Um, I was quarantined 
probably about two months before anybody else was um, because, you know, I had seen it obviously in other countries and people were discussing it and discussing it coming here. And I mean, my doctor said like, it's probably already here. So I wasn't going out much already. You know, I was only leaving the house for a couple of hours to see my clients a couple days a week because the severity of my symptoms were so impactful that I, I quite genuinely was not able to do much. It's just with the pandemic in mind, it's like, okay, so I already have to struggle to muster up the energy to go to the grocery store and get my own groceries. Cool. Guess what? You can't go. Okay. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Like now, now it's, it's, you just can't go because Mm -hmm. you could die. It's not. And like, it, it sounds almost overdramatic, but that's, it's legit what it is it's like if you leave yeah. your house to go to a grocery store you could just die mm-hmm. and that's it's scary because it's like you know when you've been through so many health issues where your life is something that you're not sure about you know um and then to have a pandemic hit you know i was just at the point where i felt like maybe i'm gonna get proper medical care now you know i have this new team of doctors like Maybe someone's going to help me. And then it's, no, you can't leave the house at all. Not even for a doctor's appointment. Doctors aren't open. Um, You know, even this rheumatologist said, like, I can't see you until the end of July. It's just a long time to wait. So, you know, those medications that did suppress my immune system, I just recently got off of those. So I had started out this pandemic still under the impression that my immune system is very fragile. Right. Um, so I, I mean, I wasn't even interacting with my family. Um, I, you know, something's delivered, everything was wiped down and sanitized just like, you know, everybody's doing now, but I had started all of that a little bit earlier on. Right. I think it's hard because it distances you from people even more, but I think it's almost a blessing in an odd way because now the rest of the world knows what it's like to not be able to leave your house. Yeah. Like everybody got a big wake up call as to what people who are immunosuppressed essentially do every day. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, when you are out in public and you sneeze and don't cover your mouth and you don't notice, I noticed when you cough and then touch something I've always noticed, but Mm -hmm. no one else really saw the severity of, you know, taking those precautions because it didn't affect them. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy when you think about it that way. Yeah. It, I mean, it is, but it's just, I, you know, I guess it's just one of those added things that you have to overcome when you come to terms with the fact that you have a chronic illness. Yeah. Your life just looks different. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so let's actually talk about for a second help, right? So you've, Mm -hmm. you've been essentially living on an Island for, (laughs) for, you know, let's call it five months instead of three. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and really it's just, you've been living on an Island for, you know, two and a half years and it's just kind of become a much smaller Island um, (laughs) in the past five months. So because of, of all of this COVID stuff, so where 
does your help come from? So I am lucky to have a lot of very great friends that have, you know, turned more into family over the years. I think help is hard, um, especially for people that live their life being very self-sufficient. I'm not afraid to ask for help. You know, when I first started working in that ABA company, it was almost a joke. Like my clinical director used to call me her stalker because if I needed something, I was finding her. (laughs) Like there was, I have a question and I need an answer. Like I would go around the school and find whatever office she was in and be like, Hey, (laughs) um, but I think that advocating for yourself is different when you don't really have anyone because, you know, I think it's harder for friends to understand because they're not necessarily living with you. Um, They don't see the everyday. It's almost easier to fake it for a couple hours than to not deal with people's questions sometimes. Um, But, you know, I do, I have some great behavior analyst friends that have been very helpful um, because I think they understand the world in the same way that I do. Um, You know, I made one of my very close friends used to be the special education teacher in one of my classrooms. I do have family. But what I think is difficult is, you know, they're not very well versed in the medical field. So, you know, my mom is super old school Italian and like Italians don't go to the doctor. We just eat more bread. Leave us alone. Yeah, it's fair. Right. I've my dad been doing from, that my whole life. Right? <laughs> yep. Dip in and, a little you know, sauce. My, dad, <laughs> my dad's from Canada and, you know, he is very healthy. He's over 70 and he is probably healthier than I am. Um, so the idea of navigating the medical system hasn't really been something that I had someone to guide me through. Um, I have another very close friend that's a social worker and, you know, her knowledge has been very helpful in figuring out what to do because, you know, she's the friend that I was referring to tried to get me to take disability. And when I had got this diagnosis, I was talking to her and she kind of really just said, no, you qualify for this, Heather. Like if anybody qualifies for disability, it's you. And so it was really at that point where like I didn't feel bad taking disability, I guess. Um, I would say the other (laughs) support is my dog. Um, (laughs) Everybody knows me, knows I'm kind of a crazy dog lady. But when I first started getting bad. And I mean, like I would stand up, you know, at night just to go pee and I would be falling over. Um, Riley just kind of decided that she was going to help me. And anytime I stood up, she'd hop right up so quick and she would stand directly next to my legs to stabilize me. So, you know, hopefully I wouldn't fall over. And if I did, she was there for me to kind of like catch myself on Mm -hmm. Um, and you had and you've had Riley longer than all of this mm -hmm. yeah so she's a little over eight now and so I mean you know she's been my ride or die from that point going forward and I think it's been really unique to be able to see her kind of decide herself that she wanted to help me and you know I trained her up a little bit and you know, she qualifies to be a service dog. So she's been like, there's no way I could have done that traveling job without her. She literally would pull my suitcase throughout 
the airport. Like I would tie her leash onto my suitcase and just like hold it. And then I'd be like, go. And she would pull it (laughs) for me. (laughs) You know, it's, it sounds silly, but it's like those little things that are so hard for me. She can do like, if I tell Mm -hmm. her to get it, she'll just pick something up for me. So I don't have to bend all the way. Right. There's so many things. So yeah, it's just the little things that make life easier. Yeah. Definitely. And, And what about, um, like day to day, simple, not necessarily simple tasks, um, but like, like, how do you get your groceries now? You know what I mean? Like, cause Ridgefield mm-hmm. doesn't really have Instacart. So like, yeah. how do you get your groceries <laughs> when going to the grocery store could still kill you? Yeah, I think thankfully the pandemic has really allowed people to see how difficult it is for someone with chronic illness. And Ridgefield has this program called like Ridgefield responds and, you know, this very kind woman volunteers to get my groceries for me. Um, so that's definitely been helpful. That's good. Yeah. So, yeah, because that's, cause that's what I'm like, I I can't imagine is like you're going through all this stuff, you know, and you have this way of life that you finally, I don't want to say gotten used to, but like it works, right? It's not fun, mm-hmm. but it works. Yeah. And then, oh, by the way, um, you're going to die if you leave the house now. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, that's, that's really what it is. I think, the, <laughs> and the, you know, it's very nerdy of me to say this, but I think the thing that probably saved me the most was ABA. Um, I, you know, I had that moment where I sat back and said, if I can help them, I can help me. Right. Mm -hmm. So I just started looking at every little quote unquote problem I had. Right. So every barrier that I came across in my daily living, I would look at it and say like, if this was my client, what intervention would I be putting in? Um, so, you know, I, my short-term memory sucks. I have found a planner that works well for me that has, you know, everything that I need on it. And it sounds silly, but, you know, the right visual supports, as we call it, can make, you know, a big deal um, of a difference in our lives. And I would say it's been more of my own healing and my own, accepting that no one was helping me um, and what I was going to do about that. So that kind of started, to be honest, before the pandemic. And I think that's what allowed me to manage this pandemic a little bit more. Yeah, that's great. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it makes perfect (laughs) sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, thank you very much, Heather, for taking the time to, to discuss all of this uh, craziness that's been going through your life for the past <laughs> five to two and a half years. Um, yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, Thanks for I having would, me. I, I don't know if there's any um, lawyers out there, but I feel like you would have a very good suit on your hands. <laughs> yeah, right. For, yeah. For malpractice. Um, mm. So, I mean, you know, I'm not, it is what it is. But uh, Again, thank you so much for joining us and thank you out there for listening and uh, we will see you next time on Someone Else's Shoes.